Today we are going to be reading a Twitter thread by Twitter personality Owen Cyclops, whose handle is at Owen Broadcast. All right, so it is time. This is going to be a long, winding, rambling thread. I posted yesterday about demons existing, and this intersecting with the world of psychedelia. I've posted about this in the past a little, and there is always a huge response. People are very into it. The thing is, I have been hesitant to paint the full picture as I see it for a few reasons. Mostly because what I see as the full picture is an intersection of so many seemingly completely unrelated things that it's quite a long walk between many seemingly disparate things. It's also seemed completely insane to me for some time. However, at this point, there are so many connections and threads that sync up that I've actually changed over from this being a crazy idea that I have to actually thinking that this is the most sane thing I have ever thought. I'll also go into some of my own experiences that I've never really discussed on here. Funny as it's been years of me posting. We'll just get started. I'll be using this as a kind of mock-up of something I'd like to write more in full at some point soon. Don't think of this as me presenting evidence to convince you of anything. This is more me laying out certain pathways and connections so that anyone that would like to poke deeper into this stuff can do so. Also, I'm just some guy and am not an expert in anything. So we'll start with a little bit of what turned me on to this stuff. I guess the last little note is that this is as ridiculous as it sounds. I basically spent the last 10 years of my life studying third eye stuff, as hard and as seriously as possible so. This is the result of that. My obsession with third eye topics, ranging from religion to mystical things to conspiracy theories, meant that I've always seen, in the distance, people discussing aliens and alien encounters, but I've never looked into it for a variety of reasons. Those people could just be lying for attention, and there's no way for me to confirm their experiences. It's also something that is discussed in Normie World and on the History Channel, for example, so I was basically completely uninterested. This changed as I got exposed to certain data and information on people who have alien experiences. For example, there was a study done, pretty sure it was at Harvard, where they took people who had had traumatic alien experiences and had them write down their experiences. They also did this with people who have had conventional trauma like PTSD from Iraq. They then hooked these people up to machines that measure signs of stress, like sweaty palms, heart rate, and things like that. The people with alien experience showed the same or a higher level of physical stress compared to the people who are hearing about their war trauma. So whatever is happening is at least real to them. I got exposed to lots of info that made me think certain cases weren't totally fake. I was also surprised when I looked into it that the people's experiences are almost always traumatic as hell. Like people get really shaken up by them. This also intrigued me as if it was just a dream or something. Why wouldn't the one dream of aliens induce PTSD instead of other dreams? As in, let's say there is a subset of the population who can have these traumatic dreams and think they are real. Well then, we would expect a huge folder of wildly varying experience because they're just random dreams, but that is not what we get at all. 
Far from being random, these alien experiences also display similarities and archetypes across a huge number of people who don't know each other and who would have no way of confirming this information with one another at the time. The public is largely unfamiliar with these themes. Alien abductions are almost always very terrifying, but there is often a sexual component. In the Harvard study, I think over 70% of the people had a sexual aspect to their alien experience. This is true for most of the data I've gathered, so what's up with that? On top of the sexual component, the theme of alien-human hybrids is also extremely common. Dovetails with the sex, obviously. People report seeing some alien-human baby and the aliens making you touch it. Or the aliens discuss human-alien hybrids. Those two themes come up a lot. Naively, I attempted to explain this with conventional explanation. Well, maybe they're like visitors from another planet or something, right? This failed to hold up to any scrutiny at all. For one, why would a super advanced high-tech race need to stick a traumatic anal probe into you to gather some medical data when they can apparently travel across the universe in hyper-advanced, almost magic high technology? Makes no sense. They would need to do this. If we have MRIs, it is safe to assume with hyper-advanced tech there would be some way aliens could get this info they want without permanently traumatizing people. As I considered this more and more, any explanation where they were benevolent or even neutral had to be discarded. As I considered that they could be malevolent, I also became skeptical of their claims of coming from space. There are some weird threads here, like at first aliens claim to be from Mars and close planets, but as our tech advanced, they now claim to be from extremely far off stars. This all got kicked into overdrive when an explanation I never considered, but that is extremely obvious, was dropped on me like a ton of bricks by an extremely woke dude named Sephram Rose. The phenomenon of beings who come in darkness and who like to F with humans, who have a weird sexual aspect, who lie about who they are and try to suck people into their world, is well documented in human history. It just goes by a different name. They're demons. Aliens are obviously an extension of the demonological phenomenon. This dovetails perfectly with the theme of sex and alien hybrids, and explains their supra-physical nature, i.e. their ships aren't literally physical ships like ours, but supra-physical like a spirit phenomena. We'll get into this more later, but in this thread, as I'm describing demons, don't think of like hellfire black shadow beings with pitchforks. Demons are just fallen angels. They're angels that are in rebellion against God, so they have the power of angels, but do what they want. It just so happens to be the case that in the Book of Enoch, the fallen angels come to Earth and bang Earth women and create a race of human fallen angel hybrids and give humans a bunch of tech. Hmm, that's interesting. We'll come back to this. Not going to post all the evidence, like I said, as this would take days, but you can look into it. I'll just say the amount of data on people having these sexual plus hybrid based alien encounters is huge. It's completely unable to be dismissed as a body of evidence, whatever you think about it. There's also a few famous alien people who wrote books about their encounters who also came to this conclusion independently. One guy even who had repeat abductions said eventually he felt like his soul was in jeopardy and that's what they wanted. He felt they were evil. There's also a researcher who was an atheist who decided to research the strange reality of people's experiences, where they'd be abducted multiple times. 
common. But eventually they'd realize that just saying the name of Jesus would stop the encounter and make them stop entirely. He found that other researchers knew about this but didn't want to touch it. He found a lot of people who desperately wanted these abductions to stop and nothing worked until they tried this. He became Christian later. Just something to look into if you want. So that was the first big piece of the puzzle, that the alien phenomena is an extension of the demonological phenomena. I thought this was extremely interesting and it gradually became part of my worldview as more data only reinforced this conclusion. Next piece of the puzzle. For the same reason I avoided the topic of aliens, I also avoided other paranormal stuff. It was totally uninteresting to me as I had no way of confirming people's stories and people could just be making them up for attention. So I basically had no opinion or interest in that sphere. This all changed when I heard a dude named David Polites on a conspiracy podcast I often check out, The Higher Side Chats. This is review for people that really follow me, but I'm painting the whole picture here, so just roll with it. Basically, he's an ex-cop who got hired by these two rich guys to research Bigfoot. Pretty sure this is the origin story. These two rich guys were talking and figured out that they both had the same Bigfoot encounters when they were super young. Naturally, this intrigued them. So they wanted to get to the bottom of it. So they hired this ex-cop to do a real investigation into what the reality and what the fiction of all this Bigfoot stuff is. That's David Polites. In the course of looking into this, he discovered an extremely strange phenomena. He found hundreds and hundreds of cases of people straight up disappearing, usually in national parks with zero possible explanation. To give you an example of what I'm describing, I'm talking two people are together, one walks behind a boulder, and bam, they are never seen again. Dogs, FBI, helicopters, search and rescue will all fail to find any trace of this person. There's hundreds of cases like this. Sometimes they'll inexplicitly return up in a place that was already searched, or miles and miles away in a place they never could have gotten to. They're often never found, or a kid will go missing and turn up miles away, 4,000 feet up on a peak a kid could have never gotten to. Won't go into all the details, but when you look at all the details of each case, it's truly inexplicable. It's actually mind-blowing. The disappearances tend to happen in spatial clusters that are only observable in huge time scale. Like, one place will have these disappearances once every 20 years, so no one would notice unless they're surveying the whole thing like he was. So, he drops the Bigfoot thing and makes this his main project. It's called Missing 411. Now, even more so than the alien things, I was looking at stone-cold evidence of something paranormal. Real cases with real people, with real authorities, with real families, it's real. Now, the weird thing is that the trends you see in these missing person cases perfectly dovetail with certain mythologies. Most notably, what are referred to as the fairy folk, the fae from Celtic countries, who I will be referring to here as fairies. For anyone that doesn't know, fairies in folklore are nothing like Tinkerbell fairies. They're like an invisible civilization that lives somewhat alongside or above, like literally physically above humans that enjoys messing with us and have powers and are very dangerous. They're actually very similar to the Din, in Islamic and Persian cultures, and beings described in many systems. The din, that's where the word genie comes from, are like a third thing, aside from humans and angels, who are also invisible. 
live alongside humans in a parallel world. I'm trying to paint a little bit of a nuanced picture here, which is why I bring in the Din in. In both of these systems, it is not really that these things are evil, like we think of when we hear of the word evil, it's more that they are powerful and could do whatever they want. For example, in most Islamic and Persian systems I've seen, the Din can be Muslim or they can be whatever. They can be evil or just apathetic and not care. They can do and be whatever they want. Consider this in the light of the fallen angels who are fallen because they're in rebellion against God. I'm not making any theological posits here, of course, they're bad. I'm just saying I think you will get a clearer picture of things if you think of evil in my story as in rebellion against God. It's a spectrum, like humans. You can be in rebellion against God and be straight up evil, like wanting to kill babies, or you can be in rebellion against God and just not by giving a darn. So don't let the connotations of the word evil cloud what I'm really saying here. Small detour over. So I see the fairies also running this spectrum, like some of them might want to steal your mittens so they can laugh at you, and some might kill your baby. It's not as black and white as the popular conception of evil and malevolence make it seem. Now back to the missing 411. The reoccurring themes I'd see over and over in these cases are just like what you'd see in fairy lore. Polides is neutral and doesn't make this connection himself at all. Frankly, I think that it just makes it more compelling. I'll discuss a few here. Twilight. People often go missing at twilight. This is an extremely famous magical time as it's the boundary between day and night. When things are ambiguous, it is also classically associated with fairies. This perfectly syncs up with who fairies take or would be interested. It also means that they have good genes. Kids and people that go missing were often picking berries. The theme of berries comes up so much. Well, that's classic fairies. Those berries are theirs, and they don't like you touching them in folklore. Boulders. People often go missing around boulders or inside a ring of boulders. This is, again, classic fairies. Sometimes they live in boulders, and the rings of big stones is so classic magic, I wouldn't even know where to start. Hunters often go missing. Of course you'd say, well, they're the ones out there, right? But oddly enough, it is a specific subset of hunters, bow hunters. Aside from a bow being less dangerous than a gun, a bow is a classic mythological item associated with many folkloric beings. It often happens near swamps. They search the swamp and don't find a body. Sometimes a bloodhound trail will lead right up to a swamp edge and go cold. They'll often actually just find people's shoes sitting right there. Creepy. Swamps are classically portals plus magic places. Could keep going on connections, but there's one last one I want to touch. One guy came back. He disappeared like his footprints led out to a frozen lake. Pretty sure that was it. And it just stopped. Gone for months. Showed back up one day. Wouldn't say anything about it. The classic trope in fairy lore is that they take you to fairy world. And you often get sucked in there. You want to stay. It's like a big party happening place. In Irish lore, they'd often take great musicians for this reason. In most folklore, this is a warning. They'll take you to this awesome party, and you'll want to stay, but you don't realize time is passing way faster in that realm than in this one. So you'll be at this party for what feels like a night, but when you come back, years have gone. Keep this idea of traveling to some cosmic, extremely festive place with time distortion on the back burner. One other connection is with something called the Will-O-Wisp 
which are common in folklore and the missing 411 cases. Will-o'-wisps are basically like Navi from the Ocarina of Time, but without wings. They're floating lights that people see off the path or in the sky that lead them off the path, apparently intentionally. Hmm, floating lights in the sky? What's that sound like? Sounds kind of like UFOs. Hey, some of these people, like the guy I just mentioned, seem to be picked up out of thin air, almost like they were just abducted or something in the literal sense. Strange coincidence. So now I knew that there was this other really weird paranormal phenomenon with concrete documentation. There were also lots of really effing odd parallels with alien stuff where I wasn't really sure what to make of it, just because it was so strange. For example, this is just one to give you an idea of how weird it is to connect these dots. Maybe you've heard of Morigellon's disease. If not, it's kind of a thing in conspiracy and UFO research world. Basically, people will find these metallic threads coming out of their skin. There's lots of really weird attempts to write this off. Like some doctors say it's just a drug-induced, like meth-style hallucination, or they have other weird explanations for it. Well, again, I have had no opinion as I couldn't prove anything. Well, I eventually met this really smart dude that I hung out with many times who told me Point Blake that his sister had this, said his mom called him on the phone and told him there was this golden thread coming out of his sister's skin. He saw it. The guy wasn't insane. Now, whatever you think about that, this is the thing in fairy folklore. The fey wind, this magical fairy wind, can put these threads in you. It's point blank described in fairy folklore, so that's pretty effing weird. Gotta stress at this point that I've done a lot of research into archetypal symbolism and comparative mythology and the images of human experience in general. Literally years of my life on end just thinking about that, it intersects with art. So when I see something like this, it's almost impossible to write off as pure coincidence when you think about all the things it could be, literally hundreds of thousands of options. It just so happens to sync up perfectly. Of course, sometimes there are pure coincidences. One thing I hate about New Age comparative mythology is when people find out two little tribes on opposite sides of the planet who have similar idea about something and then be like, ah, well, clearly this is proof that it's real. Of course, if you stack up a thousand tribal belief systems, there will be some coincidences. That's not what's happening here. We're talking about a ton of symbolic and thematic sync-ups over and over and over. At a certain point, it's incredibly naive to write this off. So now, I has this oddly murky but somewhat cohesive picture of these things people were saying about some other beings or some weird stuff having some concrete reality. Whatever I thought about it, there was some data I couldn't discard here. Wasn't sure what to think. We're going to rewind a few years here. The story I just told you of me gathering this data happened after I stopped doing psychedelics. Started maybe like roughly two years ago, maybe more, maybe less. So we're going back now to before I had this information. It's all relevant because we're going back to a time when none of this stuff was on my radar at all. I literally never would have thought of anything like what I just described and never did. It's just important in terms of confirmation bias and where my head was at the time. This will probably be a little rambly and all over the place as I have to describe two complex phenomena unfolding to be at once. That being the world of occult and shamanism and the world of psychedelics, 
which sync up in some ways but are not the same. As I'll be drawing certain conclusions at the end of this, I also feel the need to paint the full picture of me exploring the world of psychedelics, which is something I actually haven't done on Twitter before for a variety of reasons. I never wanted to seem like I was promoting them. I also hate being that guy at the party who was like, whoa man, like it was crazy bro, like I saw this stuff man. Basically almost every drug story boils down to, I was on drugs, not the best optics. However, when it helps paint this cohesive picture of a phenomenon that I now more than ever think is extremely important to understand, and this world becomes more mainstream, I suppose I'm obliged to share. Some of this stuff I've never told anyone before, except my girlfriend. As soon as I went to college, I got into Eastern mysticism. This quickly led to Buddhism. I went deep into Tibetan Buddhism, which is basically a mix of Central Asian shamanism and Buddhism, just my take. I enjoyed the idea of shamanism a lot, like many young white drug users. This is just relevant as I was doing psychedelics with a shamanic style worldview, as in I believe there was some higher or other reality than the substances would let me access, and I sought to bring insight back from this world. I'm going to be focusing on DMT as it's unique, and I'll explain why. But to give me a little credibility here, I feel like an effing tool saying this, but I have to. I'm extremely experienced with psychedelics. On top of a ton of research, I use them very extensively. Now, part of the research is, and was knowing, how not to F up your brain while doing them. Not saying they're safe, but there are smart and not smart ways to do them. I spaced out my trips with enough time that I never experienced even slight cases of something like HPPD. HPPD is Hallucinogenic Perception Persistence Disorder, where basically you will get slight elements of the visuals that you get while tripping while you're sober. This can last months or be permanent forever. It's a sign that you warped your brain too much, basically. People will get visual snow, like visual snow, or see patterns on a large blank surfaces like a white desk, or see patterns wave slightly, indefinitely, or for weeks or months after abusing psychedelics. I never had anything like this. This doesn't mean that they had no effect on me, obviously, but as I'm talking about using a lot of substances, I feel obliged to point out that they didn't overtly F me up, and I don't feel damaged from them long term. I've seen casualties and am obviously not one of them, in my humble opinion. So to establish my credibility in this field, I've done all the psychedelics people have heard of and some people haven't. Like I said, I feel like a effing tool flexing this, but it is extremely relevant, so I will do so briefly. The substances I stayed away from were the dangerous, highly experimental ones, like research chemicals. 2C-I, 2C-E. If you don't know, basically these are some chemicals that are newly synthesized that happen to have psychedelic properties, but no one knows much about them. So the long-term effects are completely unknown, extremely dangerous. This is different from other substances where we have hundreds of years of use, or at least the boomers who used themselves as guinea pigs so we can see what the long-term effects are. Thanks, guys. I'm not going to caveat every post with, Normally, I wouldn't say this, but I wouldn't. I've used mushrooms extensively, both casually and seriously, taking solid amounts in total silent darkness and isolating myself for 12 plus hours at a time. I have investigated that substance extensively.
A little side note here is that doing psychedelics alone and in silent darkness unlocks an entirely different dimension to them. The analogy I use is imagine that you only ever drank alcohol at 11 a.m. alone. Then one time you tried drinking at night at a party. Well, when you did that, you'd be like, oh wow, this is what alcohol is all about. I get it now. It would unlock a totally different dimension of the substance. That's what tripping alone in silent darkness does. It's a completely different aspect of the experience. This is just relevant because a lot of people do psychedelics a lot, but never do them alone and in the dark like this. In my opinion, they're only scratching the surface, even after years of potentially high doses. So this affects my perception of what they have to say about them. Acid, the most common psychedelic, I've also done extensively. I used to do acid every two weeks. In my humble opinion, the minimum safe gap between trips for a long time. I stopped, and if you do it, you should too, because it stopped being safe. Basically, it used to be the case that nothing psychoactive would fit on the small piece of paper you buy when you get acid. So you'd either get nothing or LSD, or something called DOCS, which is extremely rare and different enough from acid that you'd know. Now, with the prevalence of research chemicals, there's no way to know what you're getting unless you hardcore test it, and in my humble opinion, even then it's a stretch. So, a little detour, but if you're reading this and you do acid, in my humble opinion, it's dangerous now, just saying. Those psychedelics are called tryptamines, but there is another type of psychedelic called phentylamines that are different. They basically act on different receptors in your brain. Mescaline, the psychoactive alkaloid in peyote, is a phentylamine. I've done peyote a few times, once in the context of a Native American ceremony where we stayed up all night once while fasting in the woods, once while on Ayesha. This is common in ceremonies. I've also done Ayesha many times in a variety of settings. The psychoactive alkaloid in Ayesha is DMT, which is where I'm really going with this, so I should briefly explain. Ayesha is a jungle brew where a naturally occurring MAOI inhibits the thing in your stomach that would break down DMT, so it makes it orally active. It's a DMT drink. I've done it a few times in ceremonies. Once, I actually didn't eat or drink water for almost four days. Went directly into a sweat lodge and then did Ayesha. This is just relevant because a lot of people who irresponsibly openly talk about this stuff have done it like one time. I've also done some things people don't know about, like something called Hawaiian baby wood rose seeds. These are poorly studied but it is hypothesized that they contain a naturally occurring analog of LSD, acid, called LSA. They're different than the other things that I describe here. I've also dipped into another class of substances common in shamanism and magic called dissociatives. Not gonna go fully into the difference, but on dissociatives, you can fully disengage with reality and have complete, concrete, frank hallucinations easily. These are extremely dangerous. They can easily kill you. They're poisonous plants. So I never went deep into this world, but it's just relevant that I've used different ointments, the common way of safely ingesting them. That had many of these plants, all the ones people know about. So Datura, Belladonna, Amatia, Muscura, Mandrake, very rare, Henbane, Aconite, Wolfsbane. Technically, I've lightly experimented with all of these things as well. Never seriously, they're extremely dangerous, again, only mentioning it to demonstrate that. When it comes to psychedelics, 
I really know what the F I am talking about. I only say it this way because it gets me effing heated when I see losers on platforms like Joe Rogan loudly proclaiming how they're experts when they literally have no idea what they're talking about. For example, I'm not sure if this is still the case, but I saw a podcast where Joe Rogan said he's never done Aisha. Dude, just sit the F down and stop roping normies into a world you literally do not understand in any capacity whatsoever so irresponsible. Anyways, this has all been a setup for the real point of this, DMT. DMT is completely different from every other psychedelic. I'd never imagined that I would feel compelled to expound on such a thing, but now that normies know about it, and it's in Vice Media, I feel obligated to explain. I can also tell that casually laying out in this way is going to help me write something cohesive on this later, so if you read this far, thanks for tuning in. So aside from DMT being radically different experientially, which I'll get into, it is also different in terms of what it is. DMT is the only psychedelic that is endogenous, i.e. it is naturally in your brain, like right now, that's very interesting. Compared to DMT, acid and mushrooms might as well be the exact same thing. If other psychedelics are going out in a boat on the ocean, DMT is like teleporting to the bottom of the ocean where there's huge creatures and stuff, it's totally different. Typically now, DMT is smoked. This is also interesting as people haven't had access to the smoking DMT experience forever. It's relatively new and until very, very recently would have been confined only to the most extreme psychedelic circles. The emergence of Ayoasia, orally active DMT from the jungles of the Amazon, is also relatively new. Not that long ago, people had to literally go to the Amazon to do Ayoasia. Now you can just do it in most major cities. There's a Vice show about people doing it in Kentucky. It is also really cool. Normal popular celebrities like Lindsay Lohan are doing Ayoasia and talking about it. There are Netflix docs about DMT. So all of a sudden, the most powerful psychedelic imaginably, truly orders of magnitude stronger than anything else is going mainstream. Now, aside from the way in which it feels different, which I'll get into, the interesting thing about DMT is that people travel to other worlds and interact with other entities while on it. In fact, I'd say this is the defining characteristic of the experience. Very strange. I personally experienced this in terms of myself, but also with other people around me. I was with a lot of people when they first tried DMT, and I used it with many people. They almost always talked about going somewhere, or about some entity to guide, showing them something. What really interested me about this was that I had done research into entirely skeptical means of explaining the psychedelic experience. There's a book called Psychedelic Information Theory that attempts to explain the tripping experience as an entire rational phenomenon. This model of explaining the experience as basically just your brain generating random stuff frankly worked for other substances, but not for DMT. Over and over, I'd hear similar things that were also reflected in what famous DMT people were saying about the substance. I traveled into space. I was in this temple. There was this thing there that was messing with me. Or there was this guide there that wanted to show me around. I'd hear these things over and over from people ranging from mystics to secular video game dudes, extremely strange. The strangeness was only heightened when I started hearing other stories first or second hand that made no sense. Like two girls who smoked DMT together and would have conversations with the same entity over and over. Together, how can that 100% be a hallucination? 
Or the same batch of DMT would give multiple people across time and space the same interaction with the same entity. These would be oddly specific, like seeing a man in a purple suit or something. Again, could not explain it by appealing to purely physical phenomena. Upon researching lots of trip reports and hearing people like Terence McKenna or other research talk about it, I also realized that there were certain archetypes that perfectly fit the data I was gathering and my own experiences with the substance, which became more frequent. Terence McKenna famously describes these things called self-transforming machine elves. They're like balls of light that, and rapidly transforming, that are like little entities. Usually they're making something or working on something. Many people see these things. A space and alien vibe is extremely common. Both McKenna and Joe Rogan and many others describe the beings you interact with in DMT as aliens. They say point blank, you can talk to aliens if you use this stuff. That's interesting. The theme of like hypermagical tech is very common. People often describe the world as like future textile or magical textile. It's like happy, luminous, hyper-creative world. McKenna describes it as a carnival. The word potential is used a lot. Oddly enough, the theme of trespassing is also common. People will describe the feeling like, I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. Or an entity will actually tell them that they aren't supposed to be there. A ton of people report this. Also, on the onset of the trip, it literally feels like you're being sucked into a wormhole. Or that you're going somewhere. People always report this. Why? People literally describe it as breaking through. It feels like you're breaking into another world. This feeling is palpable. Anyways, I could keep going like this forever, but I'm sure you see where I'm going with this. It just so happens to be the case that all these DMT archetypes perfectly sync up with the picture I painted before of some type of beings with an alien and or fairy vibe being there. This realization hit me like a ton of effing bricks. I honestly felt like an idiot that I hadn't considered this sooner. I'm not saying that they're all the same phenomena, but obviously there is some overlap. Something is definitively up here. The crazy part is that this all fits my own experiences perfectly. The feeling like if you're a scientist struggling to explain something and then all of a sudden someone gives you a theory that just perfectly explains everything and makes sense of all this apparently disparate data you've gathered. I'm not going to give an intro as this is already long, but I've heavily investigated DMT world. In fact, in an effort to prolong the experience and go deeper, I often use DMT while on other psychedelics. So once again, as I'll get pushback here, I really know what I'm talking about. On DMT, I've had the experience of traveling to this like weird, weird, techie magic zone. It's kind of like a factory vibe. I've seen the small creatures working there that McKenna describes. When they see you, you can tell they're telling you that you should not be there. You can feel it. I've also experienced the Aztec style visions people have of these like flat style creatures. One like stopped me and told me mentally I shouldn't be there. I couldn't go past it. I drew a picture of it, but I've since lost it. It was like part Aztec, part Neapolese style in 2D. I also once experienced what I describe as a beautiful, festive, happy, magic light parade going past me. Of course, only later did I make a connection with what McKenna describing this as a carnival style. This is like the party vibe of fairy world. Fairies fit the archetype of trickster gods in the sense that they like messing with you. This is very common in folklore for beings that are at the boundary between this world plus the next. It is common for people to see jokers, jesters on DMT, 
or getting that energy from something. In fact, it is so common that once I was with a group of people who all use DMT, often, and we were faintly describing this feeling of being like, keep out, or tripped up by some weird tricky energy and someone said, yeah, that's the Joker, instantly got everyone's attention. And he was like, yeah, the Joker is the gatekeeper, but if you just don't let him affect you, you can go past him into actual DMT world. Instantly, all of us had a huge light go off. We all knew exactly what he was talking about, and I used this information to go deeper many times. On Aisha, I spontaneously had the idea that, oh, this thing like initiates you into this like ancient, eternal priesthood. There are these cosmic beings, and if I could just do this enough, I would be able to get information from them. This feeling is clear and palpable. It's inherent to the substance. Many people get some feeling like this. It's like the way being drunk makes you feel more confident, or being high makes you feel spaced out. This complex feeling is part and parcel of the substance. How and why could this be the case? One time while on DMT, I had this vision of this like luminous place I was seen into, and I was like, oh, that's God's house, obviously. I was staring into it, and then this like satyr creature jumped out in front of it with its hands over his mouth in a shush gesture. Obviously, like, don't tell anyone about this. Well, F him, but I'm just saying, this being I saw had a goat vibe and horns. I opened my eyes and was totally sober. Just a coincidence? Probably effing not. Could go on about this stuff like this, but that's a clear enough picture. Obviously, I'm saying that these seemingly disparate phenomena are actually describing one big thing that, if it's not all one world, at least has a ton of overlap. This world exists. Now, one last little wrap-up. In the Book of Enoch, purportedly by Noah's great-grandfather, I'm pretty sure, it describes the fall of a low rank of angels who come to earth to F around and bang earth women, essentially. Now, I'm not a theologian and wouldn't want to lead anyone astray, so keep in mind I'm just a random guy. The Book of Enoch isn't in the Bible, but it's canonical and Ethiopian orthodoxy, I think. To me, that just means that it isn't like the direct word of God. It doesn't mean that there's zero good information in there. Anyways, in this book, one thing the fallen angels do is teach men charms, sorcery, and cutting of roots. Aisha, which has DMT, is a root. Many psychoactive plants have compounds in their roots. Oh yeah, I'm also pretty sure the book of Enoch is quoted in the Bible, but I'm not sure. Anyways, it says they made them acquainted with plants, in the same verse where it describes teaching them charms and cutting roots. Do you see what I'm obviously getting at here? Obviously, what this book is describing is the fallen angels teaching men how to use these substances. Duh, is this really just another coincidence? Come on, how cohesive can this picture get? How much evidence do you want? There's one more big one. The Bible forbids sorcery. Sorcery is a kind of ambiguous word, but normally it's associated with summoning entities. What do you think the Greek word that's used for this term is? Take a effing guess. It's pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy from. It directly implies the ingesting of substances. Boom. What I'm getting at is that once you look at all the evidence, it is impossible to conclude that this is just a coincidence. The problem is that to put this together, you need to have knowledge of so many fields that seem as unrelated as possible, but that actually are connected. I never knew why I was so obsessed with all this stuff, but sometimes I feel like I was slowly led through each of these spheres so that I could put this together. 
That's kind of arrogant, so I don't really think that, but honestly, sometimes I kind of do. Oh yeah, one last closer that honestly makes it a little freaky and describes why this is extremely important. By the way, I didn't really touch on my involvement in Western occult. I hung around the sphere, but never did anything, like an occult ritual. I always wondered why I didn't, but now I see that I intuitively sensed it was evil even before figuring all this out. Suffice to say that if you hang in the sphere, you will meet people who will point blank tell you they've spoken to demons. I've also had good former friends tell me stuff like this. I'm not going to go into it, but it has all some component that is real. I'm 100% sure. Anyway, what is the common realization people come to on psychedelics? I've actually had people tell me about entities appearing to them and describing this view of the world. Exactly, it's also the stereotype of people that trip for a reason. Dude, it's not about good and evil, man. The universe is a balance, you know. There's like order and disorder, and it's just like your perception. Like you think something is bad, but it's just your perception, man. It's really like, what's good is just a construct, etc. Okay, ask yourself, if you were a fallen angel and you wanted to convince people that evil wasn't actually evil, what would you tell them? Exactly that. That's exactly what you would tell them. That's exactly how a crafty and deceptive being could convince anyone, even smart people, that evil things aren't actually evil. Anyone could be tricked into believing that it's just your perception and people come to this conclusion after using psychedelics all the time. Wow, what a effing coincidence that after using these substances, people just so happen to come to the conclusion that evil isn't actually evil and it's just your perception out of literally millions of things they could possibly think. That's the common conclusion. Come on. I hope I've painted a picture here that will allow you to connect certain threads that at first seem so completely insane to tie together. This is extremely important as these powerful substances and occult stuff are both going hardcore mainstream at the same time right now. All of these things sync up perfectly to create an image of spiritual warfare actually happening, which is real. There really is a class of beings out there that want to lure you in. And they are primarily famous across all cultures and times for being able to deceive people. It's real and it's really happening right now. Come under the umbrella of God and enlist on the good team. We're not totally effed yet, but without a cohesive picture of what's happening, most people are just low-hanging fruit for a variety of malevolent forces. And that's the most I've ever went off on Twitter.com. For the record, in case it's not obvious, I'm Christian now, and my life is 10,000 times better. The people I sadly had to leave behind are more confused or sucked in than ever. Choose your path wisely. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. And that is uh, where we will leave off reading for today. You can find the whole thread for the time being until... Twitter, Facebook, or whatever suspends uh, everyone who writes anything good. They will suspend Owen Cyclops. You can find him on Twitter at the handle at Owen Broadcast.